So I was in a uh, Zoom meeting recently, and I'm sure all of you love Zoom meetings. I, I was watching a video. I think it's I think it's a Geico commercial. I'm not sure, um, but there was they're in a Zoom meeting. Yeah, it is a Geico commercial, and they're in a Zoom meeting, and uh, it's just a complete disaster. Um, one person's talking, it's breaking up. Other people are um, trying to correct something, and just nothing is going right in this Zoom meeting. And actually, as I'm saying that, I just want to make sure my volume actually is up this time. Yes, because sometimes when we do this, it's actually like a Zoom meeting, and I'm talking and there's no sound coming out. But today, it seems to be working fine. But in this video that I watched, um, everybody's struggling. They're talking. Some people can't hear. Another guy uh, tries to talk, and it's breaking up. And so you've probably been in something like that. Um, Jill and I used to call them haunted webinars. Now we just call them haunted Zoom meetings. And I was in one of these recently, and uh, somebody showed this picture um, as a way of explaining something. This is by an artist named Carl Richards. And how he describes this, he says that his sketches aren't necessarily about one thing, but are meant to stir up conversation about how we think about ideas. And I like that. He says that it's not necessarily about one certain thing, so he's not trying to get one kind of point across. He's using his uh, cartoons or his pictures to stir up conversation about how we think about certain things. And, And this virtual meeting that I attended had one way that they were trying to use this picture. They were using it to talk about simplistic ideas, the complexity that we develop in developing those ideas, and then the elegant simplicity that comes out the other side. And so as I sat there listening to this person talk about this, uh, listening to the presenter, I couldn't help my mind wandering to a different way to apply this. I realized how much it applies to us today because I realized that on this side, there's sort of this line of normal. And then on the other side was this line that was sort of like another normal, maybe the future reality, whatever that looks like, and maybe a return back to some kind of normal. And then I thought in the middle here is this this mess of of stuff, this mess of emotions, this mess of all of this kind of twisted up uncertainty, confusion, and emotions that we're all feeling in this time. And as I looked at this, I, I, I just tuned everything else out, and I thought, man, this is exactly what I feel like right now. Because here we were traveling along on this road, and everything seemed fine, and the lines seemed to be going the right way, and all of a sudden, we ran into this mess. And all of a sudden, a pandemic hits, and who would have thought, right? I mean, in our lives, I never would have imagined this would have happened. And you hit this wall of things, and all of a sudden, everything begins to break down, and everything changes in work life and social life and school and uh, sports and all of the things that we're used to just changes. And all of a sudden, we're experiencing all of this uncertainty, all of this grief, all of this loss. And it just feels like a big mess. And we try to untangle it. And one thing is caught to another. You know, for me, what I feel is like sometimes I'll get mad about something. And I'm angry about it. And I'm upset about it. I begin to pull on that and try to uncover why am I feeling the way that I'm feeling about something. And it has nothing to do what I think it has to do with. Because as I untangle it and pull it back, I realize it's connected to something else entirely different. And oftentimes, it's connected to the loss that I feel about the loss of our normal. Or maybe it's the anticipatory loss that I have about the future, uncertain about what's going to come in the future. And so, you know, this is one of those really interesting just things to think about, that this is sort of what we're experiencing and what we're feeling. And as I thought about it a little bit more, as I wrote down some notes about what I was experiencing and what I was thinking about, 
I realize that it makes sense because what we're experiencing is the reality of grief. And grief is all of these emotions. Experiencing a loss of something here or an uncertainty about what the future is going to look like and trying to wrap our minds around those two things. And we feel this confusion. We feel these emotions sort of tangled up in the middle. Now, I've read this quote several times. I'm going to read it again because I think it's important for us, especially if you're joining us for the first time today. David Kessler is one of the foremost experts on grief in our world. And he said this about our current experience right now that we're experiencing. He said this, we're feeling a number of different griefs. We feel the world has changed, and it has. We know this is temporary, but it doesn't feel that way, and we realize things will be different. Just as going to the airport is forever different from how it was before 9-11, things will change, and this is the point at which they changed. The loss of normalcy, the fear of economic toll, the loss of connection. This is hitting us, and we're grieving collectively. We are not used to this kind of collective grief in the air. Now, in thinking about that, how I thought about it was this, that we're experiencing grief related to what we lost, what we feel that we're losing now, and anticipating future loss. And our losses may not be equal in severity. So, so hear that. Everybody's got something big going on, right? Everybody. And it may not be equal in our eyes, but it's equal in our experience. Our losses may not be equal in severity, but they've created see, the same emotions within us. Now, we've discussed these emotions, denial and anger and sadness and bargaining. You can see this today. I talked about my experience with anger through this. That's one of the emotions that I felt. Some of us, as we talked about last week, have bargained through this. Others are feeling sad. Still others, if you look, have felt denial and said that nothing really is going on and I'm just not going to worry about it, which makes some of us feel even more uncertain about the future because then we start to see things closing down again. We start to see that we're not able to do the things we want to do because people are denying what's happening around us. Now, David Kessler, working with Elizabeth Kugler-Ross, or Kubler-Ross, excuse me, explained these five stages of grief. But like this picture, we don't experience them in a linear way. They, they feel like emotions, hard to tell where one, end, uh, where one ends and another begins. Now, here's what's important. Kessler and others tell us that we shouldn't avoid these emotions. We shouldn't avoid these stages. We shouldn't avoid this experience. We shouldn't think of them in unpleasant terms. And I know that's crazy to think about. How do you, how do you not think of grief as an unpleasant reality? We don't want to think about them only in unpleasant terms, trying to avoid experiencing these things. What's healthy is to embrace them as a part of our human experience, part of what it means to be human, part of what it means to be created by God as who we are. And upon reflection of Scripture, I think they, we need to embrace what they mean for our spiritual lives too. See, I don't want to avoid this here. I don't want to try to jump from here to there because I'm missing what it means to be human. I'm missing what it, what it means to heal through that grief. To ignore it is to still have it in our lives in some way. We've just simply ignored it and pushed it away and hoped that it goes away, and it doesn't. 
It comes out in all sorts of negative ways. It shows back up and hurts us and hurts the people around us. Rather, we should enter this mess. But what we find is that we don't enter it alone. We enter it with the people gathered around us. And as followers of Jesus, we enter it with a community of faith called the church. And we enter it walking with Jesus having him help us guide us through this mess of emotions, healing us and helping us as we get to the other side. You see, what we've discovered over the past several weeks is that experiencing grief isn't to be avoided. It's to be embraced. I think this is important because one of the things that I always think about with Southeast is this. As a church, we always talk about this understanding that sometimes the church has has looked at things in a way that hasn't been the most helpful. Sometimes well-meaning people of faith have have looked at people and said, oh, no, you don't need to feel that way. You shouldn't experience that. They act like like having some kind of grief or having moments of grief means that somehow we've, we've let go of our faith in some way or something like that, and that's garbage. It's not the way it is at all. We look at Scripture, we see people who had honest conversations with God. I love the fact that people got angry with God in Scripture. God can handle your anger. I love that people bargained with God, and somehow God worked through that and showed them the priorities that they have or should have as their future as they embrace these things. We have to embrace the human experience. That's part of our faith. Man, we don't ignore the grief that we're experiencing. We embrace it because it's part of who God made us to be. That's the power of these stories that we find in Scripture, is that these are real people struggling to understand what it means to have faith in the world and walk that out. So don't ignore the grief that you're experiencing. Don't deny it. Don't think of it as some badge of faith to not have emotions or not feel what we're experiencing. Instead, embrace it and see that God is with you walking through it. See, throughout the scriptures, we've seen people coming to terms with their grief, allowing God to work in and through it. And we've seen that in a story of the life of Jesus that I want to return to today. It's a story that we've been through the past few weeks. It's in John chapter 11. And listen to what it says. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, The one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, The sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. Now, there's something important about these passages. And we're going to look at just a couple of little points that I want to make here, because I think this matters a lot. There's this little aside here. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, this is verse 2, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Now, that's a strange little part to have set in parentheses, to have put aside here. 
But here's what I think it's trying to help us to understand. Mary and Martha saw Jesus as their Savior. They saw Jesus as the Lord. This was a major thing for her to do. And so they're pointing out that there's some spiritual relationship that they have with Jesus. And not just some, it's an incredible reality that they're experiencing. They see him as their Savior. They see him as their Lord. They're bowing down in worship to him. So they're showing us this this disconnect from, from, from not just seeing Jesus as human, but seeing Jesus in all of his divine reality. But then when you move on, you continue this. We see that when they heard that he was sick, they sent Lord to Jesus. And I think this is fascinating. It says this in verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so it gives us this understanding that there's something else going on here as well. There is a friendship. There is a, a richness of the human experience as well. In this story, we see the divinity of Jesus, the very God reality of Jesus incarnated among us, being human among us. And in that, we also see the incredible humanity of Jesus. This is an incredibly powerful story. So it's a story of grief because Lazarus is sick and dying. But it's about a little bit more. It's about the Jesus that they knew surprising them overturning their expectations because he isn't simply human. He's God. But he's not just God to them. He's human. They have this incredible reality that they have a relationship with the creator of the universe in the most incredible way. So now listen to this. The sisters of Lazarus expected Jesus to show up and heal their brother. That was their expectation. Instead, do you see that? It said that he delayed in, in, in coming to Lazarus. And in that time, Lazarus died. And that pause, that moment, opened the door for an experience of human emotions that shows us something about God in our own grief. So the story teaches us about this incredible reality of who Jesus was. But it also shows us how God shows up amid the grief that we experience. So let's see what happens. John 11, now we're in verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. Many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. Now, this is a really interesting section. 
Martha gets up from her grief and she comes to Jesus and she talks to him. She says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She presents to him the grief that she's experiencing. And they begin this conversation about resurrection. They begin this conversation about what does Martha believe? They enter this conversation about Jesus being the Messiah, the Son of God. They get into kind of this conversation about theology and the depth of belief. It's really a fascinating conversation. I'm going to come back to that in a second, but I want you to see something else here. I want you to see something really interesting. In verse 28, look what it says. It says that after Martha talked with Jesus, she told Mary that Jesus was there and asked for her. Listen to that. Verse 28, after she had said this, she went back, called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here. He is asking for you. Now, I've always found it interesting that the author doesn't say that Jesus said this. Where in this text does it say that Jesus was asking for Mary? I think that's kind of fascinating. I think there's something going on here. Now, whether that happened or not, I think what we see is that Martha knew that Mary needed Jesus at the time of her grief. I think Martha knew that friends and family surrounded her, but it was Jesus who could meet her in the mess of her emotions in a way that no one else could. See, here's what's going on. Martha gets up from this experience of grief. It tells us that she's surrounded by friends and family who came from near and far to be with her in her grief. She gets up, she goes to Jesus, she begins to have a conversation with him. She says to him, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She shows us that she's experiencing all this grief with a, with a statement of, filled with anger and sadness and bargaining. And you can hear the twisted up emotions in this. And it's amazing, Jesus begins to respond to her, he begins to have this conversation with her. They get through this conversation, and what does she say? She goes back and she says, Mary, Mary, Jesus is here, and I want you to go talk to him. Jesus is here. He's asking for you. Go and have a conversation with him. She knew that Mary needed to experience what she had experienced, that Jesus came to her in the midst of her emotions and said exactly what she needed to hear. He met her exactly where she was. And through Jesus, and in that experience, she heard exactly what she needed here. Now listen, listen, John eleven, twenty nine. 29. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly. She went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said the same thing that Martha said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Again, she invites Jesus and invites the people reading this story into the experience of her grief. Now listen, I want you to see how Jesus responded to Martha, and I want you to see how Jesus responds to Mary. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. 
Now look closely at this. Jesus didn't respond to Mary the same way he responded to Martha. Jesus met these two sisters exactly where they were at, at the center of their grief. Look how Jesus responded to Martha. If you peel back the layers on the conversation, you'll see that Jesus invited Martha to look for the future. He talked about the resurrection of the dead in this future. And then having looked to the future and said, do you believe in what's to come? Do you believe that this is what God is promising for all people that you'll live again in him? And she says, yes, I believe that. I believe this. Then he says, imagine that that future is suddenly brought into this present. Now, this is central to understanding of Jesus, and it's on full display in this passage that Jesus brings the future reality that God wants for this world into our present, and that's what he says here. Now, here's what's fascinating. I'm not sure that Martha was looking for a theological conversation at that moment. When somebody is in, in, in the depth of their grief, when you come in and say, well, why don't we talk about this theologically? Let me help you understand death and dying and what that, you'd say, what are you doing? That, that's not how you help someone when they're grieving. That's not what you do. But Jesus did it in a different way. Jesus showed her that the new creation And that with it, the resurrection had come forward from the end of time into the middle of time. Jesus brought the future reality of hope and resurrection into her present, into the mess of the world as we know it. See, Jesus brought Martha the hope that she needed. He said, this is not the way things will always be. This mess that you're experiencing is not the way God wants it to be, nor the way God will have it to be. And so I'm going to take what is happening here, and I'm going to bring it into this reality right here, right now for you. And she needed to hear those words of hope. It did something with inside her to realize this mess is not the only thing that's going on. I don't have to sit only in this. I can look towards the future and see that I will get through this, through my relationship with God and through Jesus. Jesus gave her hope. Martha needed to hear that the grief that she experienced wouldn't be forever. The grief that she felt would never end, would end. That there is hope. For Mary, on the other hand, though, listen to this. Jesus showed her that God's compassion wasn't just an idea written in the words of Scripture, but was found in the very word of God named Jesus. His tears revealed to her that she wasn't alone in her grief but that he understood and could comfort her in a way that nobody else in this story could do. They got up to follow her to the tomb. They thought she was going to mourn. Instead, she comes to the feet of Jesus. She presents his grief. And rather than providing the same hope that he provided Martha, he meets Mary exactly where she is and comforts her in a way, showing her his compassion showing that he can weep with her, showing that he can meet her right in that moment and experience that same grief in a way that nobody else could do. Now, there's some really other interesting things about this. 
The story of Lazarus' death and resurrection paralleled Jesus' own death and resurrection. Jesus' question about where they, mar- where, where they buried Lazarus sounds incredibly similar to Mary's same question about Jesus less than two weeks later. What this tells us is that God understands the full extent of our grief. Jesus showed these sisters what they needed to see. He told them what they needed to hear. And this is what Jesus does for us. Jesus wants to meet you at this moment while giving you a hope and showing you a future you may never have expected. Look at this picture again real quick, the cartoon that we started with, the the drawing. See, sometimes I think that we can imagine that God was with us back here somewhere. And, And maybe we have some idea that maybe God will be with us over here. But I think where many of us struggle is if God is with us in this place. Is God with us in the middle of the mess that we're experiencing? And I love what this story shows us. Yes, the answer is yes. And he's not with us just in one of these stages, not just with us in one of these emotions. It's not that one of these is the best way to experience or approach God in the middle of grief. It's that he is with us in all of the mess. He's with us in all of the emotion, that there isn't a right or wrong way to grieve. It's whether you see God with you in that moment. And that's what this story is teaching us, that no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter your experience, no matter if you're like Mary or you're like Martha, you're like these two very different sisters, that Jesus is going to meet you in that moment regardless. He is going to be in this mess with you. As you untangle it, as you figure it out, as you find where to go, he's going to remind you that he's weeping with you, he's sad with you, he's angry with you, and then he's going to give you a hope as you walk towards the future. John 11, verse 38, as the story concludes. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now, we're often afraid of what our emotions mean as we experience grief. But the scriptures are filled with people like Martha and Mary expressing their rawest emotion and God comforting them in those moments. 
God doesn't rush to get us through grief. He meets us in our grief. He comes alongside us, and he guides us through our most difficult moments. And then as the story shows us, there is healing, and there is resurrection on the other side of grief. There is healing and resurrection and life on the other side of our grief. But our story doesn't start there. The story begins with Jesus comforting us amid our grief, and only then does he show us the story doesn't end there. Now, I can't predict how God will respond to you as you go to him with your grief, but I know that he will meet you there. Jesus will meet your problem with some new part of God's future that can and will burst into your present into the mess and the grief with good news and with hope. This is what it means to follow the way of Jesus. It is to know that the road we walk isn't without its difficulties, but that Jesus with us, present with us through each other and in his spirit. And in his presence, we can trust and hope that this world won't always be one of pain, suffering, and injustice. As Jesus comes alongside us, let us come alongside with others. Let's share the comfort we find in Jesus and the hope that only he can provide. So here's what I invite you. I don't think that we're done experiencing grief. I don't think a five-week series on this ends our grief and that somehow we can say, okay, I feel better now. I'm ready to move on to the future. Because here's what I know. Whether it is the pandemic that we're still experiencing and probably still will experience for a long time to come, or whether it's some other type of grief that enters the world that, you, that, that seems to be going along so well, and all of a sudden everything changes and you find yourself wrapped up in that mess, here's what I hope this five-week series teaches you, that you can enter that mess you don't need to feel bad as a person of faith about feeling the emotions that God has given you. When Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, he's saying it is part of the human experience. And you can enter those knowing that that is a part of the journey of faith because you are blessed as you experience it. Why are you blessed as you experience what a strange thing to say. You're blessed because as you enter that grief, Jesus is going to meet you in that moment. He's going to show you the future and he's going to show you how to bring others along in that experience with you. That they will be a comfort to you as you imagine the future and the hope that is to come. And you will be blessed in helping others experience that as well. Saying, I, like Jesus, will join you in this mess of emotions. I'll join you in this place of grief, but know that we won't stay here. We can come alongside each other and we can fully feel the emotions of grief, but know that there is a hope and a future. There is life and resurrection on the other side of pain, suffering, and justice. If we work together, and we invite Jesus into that story and ask him to show us how it ends. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this incredible story. 
shows us the reality of the human experience of grief. Help us to be people who feel, who don't deny the emotions that you have given us, that you have gifted us as humans with. But God, help us to see you in it. Heal us. Bring us life. Let us see a hope and a future that only you provide. Let us believe in the future hope. But let us continue to see how you have brought it into our present and help us to follow you. It's your name that we pray. Amen.